are you? I am I am great. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back to another Picture Show podcast. I'm Olivia. And I am Madeline. And we're going to be doing some film reviews. Um, every week, I will tell Madeline what we're going to be watching. We'll go watch it, and then we'll come back and give you our full, fresh takes. Hot off the press. Are you ready to find out what movie we're watching this week? You know what? I'm really curious because we left off from our our Twilight extravaganza, and I'm very concerned, so I'm ready. We're going to be watching Fight Club. Oh, no! I haven't seen Fight Club! Never seen Fight Club. That's the premise of this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Never seen Fight Club. Yeah, okay, Fight Club. I mean, I don't know, like, the full concept of it. I just know, like, the ending, how it, like... I mean, this is our, this is our pre, this is our pre before we watch opinions, so I don't want to spoil anything, aka I don't know anything, so I could probably be spoiling, spoiling this incorrectly, but yeah, I know, like, the basic, like, big reveal or whatever, but other than that, I don't, I don't really know anything about the movie. Well, I think that's, I think that's okay. If you, if you know the twist already going in, it'll, it might help you kind of, like, deconstruct it a little bit more while you're watching it. Um, I have seen it a few times. It's been a really long time, so mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to rewatch it and um, with some fresh 2020 eyes. Do you think us reviewing like coveted films while we're going through this absolute shitstorm of a year <laughs> is like putting a little bit of extra bias on like everything we watch? I think it's just making us more. We're just angry. And when we see things that are problematic and shitty, we don't have patience for it anymore. Right. So we have, it's easier for us to kind of like call it out. And we have no emotional qualms beating it to the ground. So at least for me, I think it's better if we channel our angsty energy into shitty movies and some movies that are good, but with shitty elements um, right. than elsewhere. But you're probably right. It is probably uh, heightened uh, living through 2020. But just a little jaded. Yes. So uh, with that, let's go watch Fight Club. And we will be back with our review of Fight Club in three, two, one. We're back. We are back. We watched Fight Club. We survived. But unfortunately, we can't talk about it. So this is the end of the episode. Yep. Great, great work, guys. Great yep. work not talking about Fight Club. Yep. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in that movie talked about Fight Club. Yeah, I think the point of it is to have the rule, just to break the rule. Except they, pre- they were pretty consistent with most of the other rules. The only time they, like, broke the no shirt, no sh- uh, shoes roll was when Bob was in the ring. <laughs> That's because, uh... Bob has bitch tits. Yeah, Meatloaf had a fat suit on and they couldn't uh, work around that. <laughs> when I first saw Bob, like, when it was like, Bob has bitch tits, I was like, is that Meatloaf? My dad was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of familiar faces in this movie. We've got, uh, Flavor of the Week, Jerry Yes! Martin. I uh, saw him with his, like, bleached eyebrows, and I was like, is that Jared Leto? Most of the movie was me going, is that this person? <laughs> nice. Um, let me get give the stats on the movie real fast. <clears throat> Go for it. So Fight Blame Club is stats. a 1999 American film directed by David Fincher, starring Brad, Fitt, Brad Pitt, Edward he Norton. was Brad Pitt, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Edward Norton, and Helena Bonham Carter. It's based on the 1996 novel of the same name by Chuck Palahniuk. I have no idea if I'm saying his last name correctly. The the basic synopsis is an insomniac office worker and a devil-may-care soap maker form an underground fight club that evolves into something much, much more. Hmm. I would say that's a pretty accurate, very brief synopsis of the movie. So, uh, I guess to get started, what are your overall thoughts? Okay, so 
I don't hate it. Like I actually watched it and I was like, this, this holds up. Like I get why it's a very popular movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see how the movie writers were, were trying to highlight that Tyler Durden's not a good person. Mm-hmm. Like Tyler Durden is like the, the, you know, agent of chaos that no one really needs in their life. You know what I mean? But when I think about Fight Club, like before my, like my, you know, pop culture, like I haven't seen the movie, but I know what Fight Club is. When I think about it from that perspective, I think of like Brad Pitt as like the badass, like hero of the movie, because that's how like pop culture has kind of like played it out. So overall, like, I think it's a good movie. And I think they did actually do a good job of being like, he's not a good guy. All these dudes are crazy. (laughs) But pop culture took it and ran with it in almost the complete opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, what I knew about it prior to seeing the film. Yeah, um, I can agree with that. I think that I think it's a really, really, really well-made film. Like, it's, I, mm. I really enjoy watching this movie. All the elements kind of come together in a really cohesive way. <laughs> it's like, of all the things that this movie had going on, that's what you took away from it. Right. But, um, no, I agree. Like I one think job, this- audience, <laughs> was learn the right lesson. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, my one misconception going into the movie was, I thought that, I mean, like I said, I knew the twist, so I knew the whole, like, they were the same person, but I, my misconception was that Brad Pitt was the one that introduced Edward Norton to Fight Club, like, it already existed, mm-hmm. and he was like, this is Fight Club, like, somehow his, I don't know, his other personality found this Fight Club and was like, you need this kind of thing, I mean, which is essentially what happened, except they formed it together, so I didn't know they formed it together, I thought that Brad introduced or Tyler introduced the narrator uh, to Fight Club, but clearly was wrong. Yeah. I had a couple of misconceptions, actually. Mostly that I had no idea that this turned into like a domestic terrorist like <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah. That was wild. That I did not see coming from a mo- Like I saw like the cultish like tendencies, but I thought it was going to be something like somebody kills someone and then it turns into this whole like they have to deal with like the cover-up and like what you know how tight is this group actually like that kind of thing which would be like a cool concept for a completely different film if it hasn't already been done which I I am sure it has Mm -hmm. but yeah when it when it turned into this cult I was like oh my god (laughs) that's when it got good like when it the first I would say the first like half of the film right up until the twist I was kind of like, eh, like, this is, this is okay. Like, they're just, the violence, I was not, I'm not a, a big, I talk, I talk mad smack, but, like, I don't, I don't <laughs> condone violence. You're just a soft-hearted woman at heart. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I definitely am not, like, down for just beating people senseless for absolutely no reason. Up until that point, I was, like, kind of disinterested. Once they got to, like, the, the chemical burn, like, weird, you know, assimilation into this sort of like cultish mentality of like anti-consumerism and you are worthless like everything that you've worked for is meaningless unless you are like you know one with your body and soul and your purpose on this planet which is nothing because you are part of the same compost heap or whatever yeah so once it got to that point I was into it I wasn't into it with like just the the violence like that just like was not appealing to me yeah I mean I think the first half is kind of the rejecting the system, rejecting the authoritarian uh, capitalist system and kind of searching for that hyper-masculine thing to get rid of all of your angst and energy. Right. Um, and then the second half is like, you have that and now it's turning into that author- authoritarian system that you were rejecting in the first place. So it's kind of I know, like I was thinking- the two sides of the the coin like you reject it but then you become the same thing through the means that you're you know using yeah it's like it's like reinventing the wheel like you're just mad I think it kind of plays into the beginning when he when the narrator was all pissed off that Marla was infiltrating his like support groups I thought it was kind of similar where he was they were rejecting this system that they didn't create 
and then they were totally on board with the one that they did and I'm like he was he was totally on board with like being a terrible person and going and you know pretending to have cancer just to get sympathy and attention from these people um but as soon as somebody else was like oh I'm gonna make this my thing like as soon as it was like Mm co-opted he was pissed off I was like I just I just couldn't I couldn't understand it but I was like he's such a crybaby about this and then I was like oh that's the whole movie is he's a crybaby and beats people up (laughs) he's supposed to be kind of the everyman like he is he doesn't have a name in the movie um he's referred to well he refers to like himself as Jack like he's like I am Jack's whatever um, in the book, he doesn't have a name, and in the movie, he doesn't have a name, but he, it, for script purposes, he refers to himself as Jack, which is, like, a really bland, any-person name. Every time he was like, I am Jack's broken heart, or I am Jack's, like, ruptured bowels, or whatever, <laughs> I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it was it was funny at first, like, when he was reading the article, and then he, like, did it a couple times afterwards he kept saying it and I was like I know this has something to do with the the script and the plot or whatever but stop comparing yourself to Jack's organs you weirdo (laughs) it feels like almost like that is another method for him to um project how he feels onto something else like Jack is not Mm -hmm. him Jack is just like he's still distancing himself from how he's feeling or like what he wants so instead of saying, I, I'm brokenhearted, he says, yeah. Jack's broken. And so. I think that's part of like the toxic masculinity at like thing that everybody, you know, hits on with this movie, because this movie is like, kind of, it's almost, <laughs> it, it kind of is like the foil to Twilight where it's like Twilight was by women, like quote unquote for women. I, I don't hundred percent agree with that statement, but that's like my blanket here <laughs> for it. This movie's kind of like by men for men, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the book, the book, I think I was talking to my brother about it and he was like, yeah, this is kind of like a book written by a man for men to read. And I'm like, okay, but it's, it's giving men all the wrong answers. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 it's, but people take the wrong message away. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I feel like you just need to write it out black and white, go to therapy or, you know, this violence is not the answer or you are not just a cognitive machine. You're actually a very unique human being who brings a lot of joy to people's lives and has much more purpose than working in insurance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But oh, <laughs> I wrote Tyler slash the narrator think, <laughs> think they want this post-chaos anarchy dystopian world because they would thrive, but actually all they need is therapy and to be updated on their shots. <laughs> I think well, I do think it's kind synopsis. of like, it's kind of interesting because at the beginning um, when the narrator's saying how he's got insomnia and he struggles with sleeping and he's like, depressed really he's just mm-hmm. kind of like a a zombie going about his life and he goes to the doctor and he's asking for medication to help him sleep mm-hmm. help him like feel better and the doctor's like nah just sleep and then and then that's i think one of the first times that we see the like flash of flicker, Tyler yeah. it's like a moment where he's he's in distress and he's stressed out and he's asking for help but then he's rejected and we see like the one of the first flashes of Tyler's personality kind of forming I think is really interesting. Right well I think I mean telling him it's kind of like telling people with depression like oh just go for a walk drink some water like I, yeah. I agree that's not helpful because people obviously have tried that obviously Tyler's tried or narrator has tried to fall asleep and he can't so I feel like and also just like kind of I thought it was kind of funny that the doctor was a man I was like most likely a, a female doctor um, would would have a different approach because typically women have more of like of an emotional response to like people's needs as far as like, I am in pain, like the, this this response, I need help. And they would they would have a more like alternative solution than to just be like, I don't know what your problem is. Like you're actually not in pain, go to sleep and then also go check out these cancer patients. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm generalizing, but there is, there is some truth to, like, that kind of, you know, masculinity versus feminine, femininity. <laughs> I feel like because we're living in, like, such, like, a split world between, like, gender roles and that sort of thing, like, women 
have absorbed that sort of like emotional support role. So if, if a female doctor had come in and been like, what's your problem? He's like, I can't sleep. I'm in pain. I feel like it would have been a higher chance that she would have prescribed him with something or referred him to a therapist kind of thing. With that said, what do you think the movie's trying to say about masculinity? I feel a lot of things about this movie and masculinity. <laughs> I feel like when Tyler had that whole rant about like, there's no war, like there's, we're, we didn't go through a great war. We didn't go through a great depression. Like our war is within ourselves. Our depression is like our existence, like that sort of like rant. I really did not jive with what he was saying. You know what I mean? Like, I think I understand life differently, but I feel like men throughout like history have like hyped up masculinity to be like, you are constantly destined for something great. And then if you find out, like Tyler said, that you're not destined for something great, like you crash and burn, like there's almost no alternative. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People don't have to like suffer completely and be broken down to like their very like core soul in order to like live a fulfilled life. You know what I mean? I feel like the movie saying that like masculinity is like suffering in order to like have that fulfillment. Do you think that the movie is trying to critique that kind of idea of masculinity? I, I'll give you my thoughts because like I know that Tyler is supposed to be like not correct and the movie kind right. of makes it clear that like Tyler's the bad guy ultimately. Right. Um, and, but initially he is everything that the narrative character wants to be and feels like he should be um, when he's lacking. Like he feels like he's lacking in, you know, looks, he's lacking in just overall thought on life. And Tyler is the epitome of the, the masculine man that he wants to be. And they go into this fight club they start this fight club where they're exerting all this masculine energy and we can talk about like the kind mm -hmm. of heterosexual versus homosexual tones going on and throughout this movie but um ultimately that avenue of exerting your masculinity like the dangers that come with that and i, I do think that the movie tries to um critique that idea of masculinity a little bit but ultimately, I think the, the director and the author were kind of saying, like, you need to find a, a medium between being the narrator character, every man, and Tyler, with the, the chaos and the almost fascist <laughs> outlook <laughs> on life. Um, right. No, I agree I, with that. I don't agree with. I don't think really? you need to find, I don't think you need to be in the middle, because uh, I don't know how productive being in the middle of being fascist and being just like well I don't I don't necessarily think it's like being being in the middle of like that heavy extreme which is Tyler Durden but mm -hmm. I think like he is he's obviously like a just like a heightened like he's a Chad yeah absolutely like he's a bold like they like circled him underlined him in <laughs> bold like he is like the craziest example they could think of of like a toxic man a toxic masculine man yeah you also have to keep in mind that this is all like the delusions of a mentally ill man so mm -hmm. right as the directors and the writer and everybody's trying to point out this guy is not healthy this guy is not a good person tyler durden i'm referring to yeah. neither is edward norton neither is the narrator he's clearly very unstable <laughs> he's very unreliable too exactly so all the accounts of this character could be, you know, misconstrued. But I think like what I think what I'm trying to say is that, you know, he created this like hyper masculine, hyper toxic person. I feel like it shouldn't be like finding the medium between that hyper masculine man and like a wet sock. <laughs> I think it really should be like, you know, yeah, there are more like Debbie Downer average dudes out there. And there are more like chads on the planet who have no regard for anyone else. They are a manly man. Like the world is their oyster. I feel like if you can kind of like just find who you are, find your niche, like without hurting anyone. I think the I think the main point of this is like they were they were doing it this to like, I don't know, get themselves off. They didn't give a fuck about anybody else. Yeah, they were like blowing up buildings when nobody was in there and they were trying to like get people 
on the inside of these organizations so like no one was around when the buildings blew up but that was almost to just i feel like on my on my part that was just to avoid accountability yeah. that wasn't like i care about human life this was we don't want casualties because we don't want the traces to be brought back to our project mayhem organization so i feel like if you find that niche like if you find who you are and who you are is decent enjoys life and doesn't hurt anybody while doing it that is that is where you should be content and like no you're not going to go out and like be incredible and be like remembered in history books i'm not going to be you know i'm and i'm okay with that i think i think the people that were drawn to this organization like the broken like dying people the people who like lost all hope like they kind of wanted like something big to go out on mm -hmm. and that's what fight club like preyed on project mayhem preyed on were like these broken people who thought that because they didn't do anything great their existence was meaningless yeah i mean i think that's why i compare it to to fascism because it was like pretty much a death cult like at the end yeah. what it turned into was these people these everymen who ultimately i don't think they cared about the the end goal because i don't think they understood what the end goal was only tyler understood what the end goal was yeah um they were just content to be a part of something because they were all in on the joke or in on the plan you right. know they all felt like they were part of something bigger than themselves and ultimately didn't care what the goal of project mayhem was and turned into this like fascist group authoritarian right. group that was content on destroying property and being like you know fuck the pigs but then they were also the cops so like yeah there's so many contradictions going on within this group don't talk about fight club but talk about fight club wink wink to to help us yeah. grow because they were everywhere at the end of the movie they were yeah. all over the country <laughs> essentially yeah and i think the other thing i thought was interesting again like the anti-consumerism part of it where it's mm -hmm. like you're stupid for like, you know, buying shit from Ikea. You're buying shit you don't need. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I kind of see where that point can be made, but I, like, like everything in this movie, it was taken too far. Like, I, I think there is value in saying like, hey, you know, all these worldly possessions you have will be gone. Like there is like an expiration on your time on planet earth. But I think the point should be like, will you be happy with who you are without all this shit and not a domestic terrorist you know what i mean like you <laughs> like you don't I'm have always... to if your apartment burns down essentially you don't have to choose to become a domestic terrorist yeah to make up for it <laughs> but i think i don't know if this is like a theme or whatever because like you know I, I don't know terms but i think it was interesting to see how like it was almost like anybody could be in that position kind of thing like anybody could be Tyler Durden mm -hmm. um just how they like made the movie seem like anybody could be brought to that breaking point also clearly the to toxic masculinity but also like the theme of like this is like the middle child of like this generation was like the middle child of America or something like that yeah, we're basically for, like for Gen X I think yeah they're like latchkey kids they're you know, raised by single mothers, like the first generation to be raised by TV. Yes. Yeah, that sort of thing. So I think it was kind of like that first look at, you know, the clear generational difference between the greatest generation or baby boomers versus generation mayhem. Mm -hmm. Um and how like there is that like big disconnect um just between like how the father is like the quote unquote fictional figment of imagination fathers were treating like Tyler and treating the narrator being like you need to get a job oh I have a job now what I don't know like we just followed this natural course and you know I think this is also talking about how that natural course can be different for anyone mm -hmm. like the the go to college get a job get married have kids narrative doesn't fit for everyone so I think it, I think it was also like talking about how like yeah everybody expects you to follow like the trend there's nothing wrong with breaking away from the trend again just don't become a domestic terrorist i, I think i'm <laughs> gonna say that at least 18 more times before this podcast is over 
Yeah, like if you're gonna reject the system that you currently live under, how easily you can become exactly like that system. How do you, like, what do you think of the main character? Like, what do you think of the narrator character? I mean, I, I, I felt the average Joe-ness of him. I really felt like the everyday man aspect of him. And I also felt like, yeah, he's, he's the average guy, but he also has like individual problems. Mm -hmm. I think there is also, especially with like talking about like, you know, feminist theory of like toxic masculinity and like masculinity in general I feel like a lot of men are expected to behave and be treated the same mm -hmm. I mean there's generalizations across the board in any you know subgroup but I think for men especially it's like you're you're a man like these are manly things these are gender roles and you know with you know women there might be more like a little bit more flexibility as far as like in the modern day like as far as like identity and that sort of thing like women can wear like dresses or pants to work now like guys it's like pants and a tie you know what I mean like he he got yeah. called out for not wearing a tie to work like he had to wear this specific uniform even if it's not officially labeled a uniform yeah and I'm not like I'm not trying to be like oh men are so oppressed like that's not what I'm saying but what I'm trying to point out is like is like there is some sort of like conformity that exists within like the you know the male community that can be like elbowed out a little bit, but I think when he broke out, he broke out hard. Like yeah. he didn't know, <laughs> he didn't know where the soft landing was. He just went straight into the fire, you know? Mm -hmm. so I have a I quote, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt you. I have a quote oh, no, from the director that kind of ties into that idea. Um, he said, we're designed to be hunters and we're in a society of shopping. There's nothing to kill anymore. There's nothing to fight, nothing to overcome, nothing to explore. And that societal emasculation, this every man, the narrator, is created. I mean, I see, I see that. I see like the, the biological, you know, argument that like, you know, men were, you know, the hunter-gatherers, women were the caretakers. Like there were biological gender roles back when like they were needed. And yeah, we still have some of those instincts, obviously, but, you know, I feel like that's kind of a cop-out. It feels like they totally forgot about, like, sports and, like, gyms and, like, hunting that still happens. But like, they, like, shit on the guys that go to the gyms. They're like, oh, like, bodybuilding, like, you want to be an Adonis? What a, what a freak. Or, like, what, they said something stupid like that. I feel like that's and part I'm of like, the, the contradictions because Brad yeah. Pitt is Brad Pitt and has yeah. Brad Pitt's body. And then he's the one that's like, oh, like you want to go to the gym and like look like that yeah it's like kind of it's kind of funny it just like feeds into this constant contradiction that that right. is tyler and also i mean like yeah i'm sure sports aren't for every everybody but they're in this day and age there are a million different things you could do that can fulfill your need to like create or explore or do whatever I mean, I'm sure in some, in many circumstances, like socioeconomic status is very limiting for those kind of things. And I see where that frustration would build. Yeah. So that's another thing is like, there, there is like a, a class perspective to this as well. Like some mm -hmm. people can say like, oh, just like, just go to school, like get an education, like learn better. Some people can't do that. So I also think that there is a bit of like, when they're talking about economic like equality or equilibrium in the movie, I see what they mean, but every single thing, like I said, like I see it, but they take it too far. <laughs> well, the thing, I think the thing with how they're going about it, they are not, they don't actually care about everybody getting a piece of the pie. They only care about the people who are in their club getting a piece of the pie. Like they're only worried about themselves and like the people in the club, in the fight club, in Project Mayhem, getting mm -hmm. a piece of the pie. They are not looking out for every man, everybody, all like women, everybody. Right. Um, how you go about, you know, fixing the problems that you have with society. <laughs> like, are you looking out for yourself and everybody else? Are you trying to actually fix society? Or are you just like playing into something that makes you feel a certain way? Which I right. Think is this is, this is just, I mean, we talked about Hamilton before. This is very similar to like the founding fathers being like, this shit's not fair. We need to fight for our freedom. And by our freedom, I mean me and my buddies who own land and slaves <laughs> and are white. It's just a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of situation. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, goes back to the death cult thing. Like, all these people that are in the in the fight club, they are willing to leave, like, give up their life for this thing. Because just to feel like they're a part of the, the club. And the yeah. other thing that was interesting was, as far as, like, the cult mentality was how they would rationalize everything. So mm-hmm. when Bob died and ty- and the narrator was like, this guy's a person. This guy's a name. His name's Robert Paulson. We killed him. Yeah. All of us in this room participating in Project Mayhem are equally culpable in his death. Well, technically that's not true. Tyler was the one that like orchestrated everything. Like they all got involved, but he's like, we all killed him. And they immediately twisted into, ah, like the ultimate reward for your sacrifice is like earning a name. Yeah, and it's like, like no, you being you dying in this system is the only way for you to uh, become somebody. Like if you right. give up your life for this, for this group and for this, uh, you know, Project Mayhem, whatever, that's the only way that you become an individual. Like the cult <laughs> formation aspect of it fascinating like the they start with the fight club and they all get like their you know their testosterone like they all get their high beating the shit out of each other and the narrator even says he's like we resolve nothing in this we just get our like anger out none of our issues get resolved we just beat the shit out of each other for two hours on a saturday night kind of thing yeah so like he says that and then then it turns into like small assignments like pick a fight with someone See how that goes. See what, like, there's supposed to be some sort of lesson in that. At the point in the movie where that starts to happen is immediately after Tyler fights the Lou guy, the, like, guy who owns the, the, yeah, that they're fighting in. It's the first time that he confronts or fights authority, like, a person mm-hmm. authority. And once he does that and gets his way, that's when things escalate and he starts to give out. Uh, the first Project Mayhem assignments. And it- yeah, and the one thing I said about Lou was, first of all, his bodyguard was useless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has a gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, the movie could end it right there. Lou doesn't, like, he's not tempted to join this organization, one, because he sees his bonkers. But I wrote that, I was like, he doesn't join because he clearly has other outlets and ambitions. Like, he is part of, yeah, he's part of, like, the mainstream, like, hierarchy authority position but he I mean he's not every man like he is he is their like enemy essentially so I see yeah I mean if we're that from a, the breaking point. Like a capitalist critique perspective he is a he is a capitalist and mm-hmm. his them fighting him is against his interest and him joining them is against his interest he already owns capital right he's not going to give that up to to, to fight with these people um, who are only fighting to feel something because they lack. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie is when they're like, uh, their first assignment is to just start a fight with like random people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like a, a montage of all these people like just trying to agitate people. And the one is, uh, I think it's Meatloaf. He's chasing the guy on the bike? No, he, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm mixing up who's in what scene, but the guy who has a hose and he just starts like spraying Buster from Arrested Development and (laughs) he's like, stop, don't do that. And then he like pushes him, he pushes him back and then he like comes after him a little bit. He's like, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. And he like runs (laughs) away. The whole, that whole montage just cracks me up. Yeah, that's a good one. My favorite part was, like, right before the boss comes in with the paper with all the rules. (laughs) And he's, like, writing this haiku. (laughs) He's sending it to all his coworkers. I just, I always think so, like, I don't want to say meta, but I always think so, like, literal. Like, imagine being, like, some girl in accounting and, like, oh, you know, Jack Smith from, you know, from recall department send me a haiku and it's about how bees are like gonna kill the queen or something uh, like their queen and I'm like what the fuck is that so I just thought that was hilarious that was my favorite scene but I liked the chaos like montage because they're just doing such stupid shit you know they're like wiping the tapes at blockbuster and 
you know, turning the spike strips around on parking garages. That was just mean. Yeah. <laughs> that none of them served a purpose, but the spike strip one, like, was just plain mean spirited. <laughs> um, the one part that I didn't really care for was like the travel scene where he was like, "You wake up in a different city," and I mean I, that that adds to like the context of like why he's always so exhausted, like confused. It also, mm-hmm. like, adds to, like, this is how he got from city to city and, you know, spread Fight Club all over the place. Um, and also, this movie's very pre-9-11. I'm assuming that this man, his legal name is not Tyler Durden. That's my assumption. Otherwise, he would be like, hey, you have the same name as me. Um, unless yeah. that's part of the delusion that he didn't realize. Yeah, it's uh, 1999. Yeah, so this is, this is three years before 9-11, or two years before 9-11, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> math. It was two years before 9-11, so, like, the fact that there's just so many, like, clues to, like, not clues, but, like, so many indicators that this is, like, the not travel the world that we want. live in. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, the travel vouchers have Tyler Durden on them. I'm like, TSA would be on your ass, like, in an instant if you tried to come in, like, with your driver's license saying, like, Jack Smith and your ticket says Tyler Durden. Yeah. So, but anyway... <laughs> That was just funny to me. I was like, wow, this movie is definitely in the 90s. But With that said, before, sorry. Uh, oh, no, go ahead. You know the scene where he's talking to his boss, like, brings the fight club rules to him that he found yeah. in the photocopier, and then he gets up and starts ranting about how, like, he's going to take a gun and, like, come in here and shoot anybody that... Um, I know exactly what you're going to say. Uh, you know, from a 2020 lens, there's a lot of stuff that's gone down between 1999 and 2020 that would make that mm-hmm. scene super uncomfortable. Um, but when this film was released, it was before Columbine. Mm. Um, so initially, that scene was, like, received as a as comical. So a lot of the audiences watching it um, reacted and laughed and, like, really liked that scene because, you know, it was the everyman standing up to his boss and, you know, we know that he's not actually going to get a gun and come in and shoot a bunch of innocent people but then after Columbine hmm. and the world was kind of uh shook by that and the many many events that followed that incident audiences were dead silent and did not react and so it's just kind of interesting like the timing of this of this movie and the the like climate that it was made in versus like how we're seeing it now in 2020 after so much has happened but yeah yeah it's definitely it definitely feels a world away literally yeah. i mean people people call anything that happened before you know 2001 they call it the pre-9-11 era mm-hmm. and i mean my parent you know our parents probably mention all the time like oh like back before 9-11 you could walk right up to the gate and you know say goodbye to people or whatever like security was very minimal like you kept your shoes on the whole time <laughs> Yeah. A belt? What's that? Keep it on your pants, sir. That sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, that is definitely something to consider. I think it's interesting that of all the people, of all the characters who are part of Project Mayhem, Bob is the one that ends up dying. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that there's something to be said about Bob having literal tits um, and what that means for his character. And what the movie is trying to say. So essentially, the entire movie is told from the perspective of Tyler and the narrator, both of whom are very, very unreliable. Mm -hmm. Everything is presented to us through Tyler's lens to make, to basically make the narrator and Tyler the protagonists. So that everything that everybody else does is like, the blame is not on Tyler. And like, ultimately, he's, you know, the hero. Um, but my point was, back to Bob, one of the only men in this, in this fight club that doesn't fit the, you know, normal, ideal male figure. You know, he's heavyweight, he's got boobs, he's, he, he is kind of, I don't want to say androgynous, but he, he doesn't fit the, like, stereotypical masculine figure physically or emotionally. Mm-hmm. When they're going through the whole hazing process, 
you know, you don't fit this, you don't fit this, you don't fit this. And Tyler says, no, you can't be in this. You're too fat and old. But then the narrator turns around and is like, no, no, you, you're fine. You can stay because mm-hmm. he has an emotional connection with him. Yeah. And then ultimately he's the only one that dies. He's like sacrificed for the good of the, for, for the, you know, the cause. Right. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I also think like to go back to the very beginning, it's ironic that his first support group that he goes to is a support group for men who have testicular cancer and feel, and most of them probably have had their testicles removed. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I, I noticed that right away when he was, when the doctor was like, go to the testicular cancer support group and, and you'll see what real pain is. Like the doctor, that's kind of like a, like a double meaning to that, where it's like, these men are in pain because like they're going through cancer and they're dying. But he also means like they lost their balls. Like they're going through pain because like they've lost like their, one of their like, <laughs> like mantles of manhood. <laughs> yeah. One of their literal symbols of manhood is have, is their genitalia mm-hmm. um, in this instance. And if they go against Project Mayhem, they lose their balls. Yeah, exactly. Ah, I didn't even, I didn't even think about, think about that. <laughs> if they uh, try to stop Tyler's plan, even if the narrator himself tries to go against his own plan, he will lose his manhood because he's not man enough to go through with domestic terrorism. What did you think of the twist? Like, just as a, as a you know, element of the story, how effective do you think it was? I think the lead up was very good because when he was running around looking for Tyler, like across the country and when he walked into the room, okay. So back up before, even before that, when he went in, um, when he went into the room with the beers after they had like painted the smiley face on the side of the building and like set shit on fire. Um, and they're all celebrating. He's like, what the fuck did you do? And they all think it's hilarious. And he's like, no, seriously. And so then they, they start reciting that like cultish, like, you know, phrase, like, don't ask questions. And clearly that's because his like alter ego was like, if he's, if I start asking questions, you tell me not to ask questions. Like test me as much as I'm testing you type shit. So like, even then you're kind of like, what? And then when they won't let him. With that scene, he's like literally holding a Project Mayhem folder when he walks in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, and then when he walks in, he's like, where's Tyler? Where's Tyler? Like, obviously, these dudes are like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> internally. <laughs> um, but they but they're like, oh, no, he's just testing us by asking questions. Like, so it's very clever. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to look at the plans. And they're like, maybe, you know, maybe alt- Tyler as a, when he was in control, quote unquote, he probably told them, if I'm asking questions and trying to see plans, stop me and tell me it's under control. Like, I'm testing you or whatever. Mm-hmm. He obviously made it, you know, his alter ego made it seem like every other thing he did was a riddle. So that kept that control, even when, like, one personality was not in control. Mm -hmm. Um, So I liked that. And then I also, I liked how they're all like, hmm, you're looking for Tyler. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, I get it. I get it. I can't help. So silly, sir. So can't help you. Sorry, sir. Sir, wink. <laughs> like super dramatic. I'm like, if I was in that cap, like that bar where he's like, can't help you, sir. I'd be like, this is some weird drunk shit going down. Like if I was like off to the side, like watching this interaction, I'm like, they definitely know each other. Are they like gonna have sex? Like what's yeah. happening? No, no keys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one that that made me be like, mm, yeah, something, something, this is, I think is leading up to the twist, was the car accident scene. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he was like, you know, that's why I burned your condo down, like, the two guys are looking at each other. They looked more confused than, like, shocked to me. So, I was like, okay, so maybe this is, like, leading up to the twist, because, like, those two dudes in the back, and also, again, that was when Tyler was speaking, he kind of spoke in a way where he could have just been talking to the two dudes in the back. He was like, you know, this, you think this is a fucking joke? Like, what would you do before you died? And they were like, oh, paint a portrait, build a house, whatever. And then he kind of continued, like, there was like a little moment where it could have been confusing, but he continued the conversation with the narrator pretty well, where you could have been 
talking just to the two dudes in the back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about the relationship between Tyler and the narrator, the narrator literally never um, challenges Tyler. Mm-hmm. Whenever he's talking to Tyler or, you know, is trying to be the voice of reason, he's never actually challenging anything that he's doing. He's just asking why. Like, that's the only question he ever asks. As if mm-hmm. to give Tyler a platform to um, validate everything that he's doing and to, you know, rationalize everything that he's doing. He's just like, why? Why do you do this? Why does this happen? Like, why? And then that gives Tyler the opportunity to rationalize it and explain it away. He's never like, he never presents a opposing thought or opposing idea to anything that's going on. And I agree in that scene. I think the only time he does like actually like try and quote unquote talk reason into him is like towards the end when he's trying to stop him from blowing up this building. He's like, there are people here. And then, but Tyler does still come back with like, no, we, we covered it. Like all the security guards are our people. So that's why mm-hmm. the building's clear. That sort of thing. So I think the the only time he was like actually trying to challenge uh, Tyler was like at the eleventh hour. <laughs> yeah, when he's um, trying to overtake Tyler. Like up until right. that point, he was just submissive mm-hmm. um, to Tyler's personality. Like once he realizes that Tyler's personality has put Marla in danger, mm-hmm. like we need to. She's she knows too much. We need to you know take care of that. That's when the narrator, like, steps up as, like, I need to be the dominant personality. I need to stop some of the things that I've put in place. And so I think that's probably when that shift happens, where he's able to not just ask why, but, um, you know, actually challenge and get rid of Tyler, quote-unquote, get rid of Tyler. Hmm. Specifically about that scene, the very last scene. One, I didn't like it, but... That's, like, the ending itself, like, that's, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual, like, scene. Mm -hmm. So, that scene, narrator shoots himself, like, kind of, like, in the cheek. Like, it comes out, like, the side of, like, his face. Yeah. And Tyler is convinced that the narrator shot himself, so he, like, quote-unquote, dies. Like, he, he is, like, eviscerated. Mm -hmm. So, to me, that flicker at the end kind of indicates to me that Tyler might not be completely gone. Yeah. And that was my problem with the ending. Well, so that was my problem with the ending the first time I saw it. I didn't really think about it until the second time I watched it earlier. Was that like, as far as I, as far as my limited knowledge of like mental health, <laughs> first of all, this, this poor man never saw, never has had any help with his issues. So like, it is very unlikely that him shooting himself in the face is going to get rid of like his alternate, his alter ego. So I think it was kind of like a temporary, like, mental band-aid. Him shooting himself in the face. He needs a bigger band-aid for his actual face. But I think it was, like, a, it was like a temporary solution. Like, he has convinced himself that Tyler is gone. But what, what happens when the next, like, stressor occurs? Like, when he feels that rejection again or when he feels, like, emasculated again? Mm-hmm. He never really, like... Even when he killed Tyler, he never, that was like the ultimate fight. Like he never solved his problem. He just got rid of the, the, the thing that was projecting these evil thoughts. He wasn't solving what was causing those evil thoughts. Yeah. So the fact that of him shooting himself in the face, I don't think solved anything. That's why well, I was like, I think that's part of the, the like overall theme of the movie is like, these guys are not solving anything they're not fixing any problems and that just falls in line with that like he shot himself in the face to temporarily get rid of this personality that was emasculating him Mm -hmm. but then he you know in doing that he felt empowered but still ultimately if this is a mental health thing you don't shoot yourself in the face to get rid of your alternate personalities so you're not like you said getting to the root of the problem and actually fixing anything. My immediate thought watching it first time around was when he was, you know, opening scene is obviously like the beginning starts with the end kind of situation. And he's like, ah, this all has to deal, do with somebody named Marla. And I'm like, of course, of course we immediately blame our problems on a woman. Like, (laughs) um, 
Like how apt. And I still like, even after going through the movie and this is probably the point, or at least I hope it is like, it's still not Marla's fault. (laughs) I mean, she's not a good person either because she did the exact same thing he did going to these support groups and pretending to like have cancer. Obviously she had problems and needed a different kind of support group, Mm -hmm. but you know, she did the same thing. And like I said earlier, like he got pissed off because like his like unique fun idea and outlet got co-opted by somebody who had the exact same idea separately, you know? So Marla's character is interesting because like she's almost a different kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. She definitely is a different kind of fucked up, but she's like, like she doesn't care what comes out of life at all. Meanwhile, all the guys in Fight Club and Project Mayhem, including Tyler and the narrator, are like, we need, we need to, like, reinvent the wheel. We need to re, like, start the system, essentially. Like, they want something out of what they're doing. Granted, they probably, most of them don't know what that is. (laughs) But they want something. They want something out of life. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, like, joined this organization they wouldn't have been swayed into joining this organization and marla is just like i don't give a shit like if i die i die like if i take these pills and i don't die okay but (laughs) you know like she understands that she's like mediocre you know like she understands that like she's not like special she's not like some star child that's that has like a great destiny ahead of her so she kind of like that's why also i think she infuriates the narrator so much like in the beginning is like she like doesn't give a shit she's like we can do this one way or the other like I don't give a fuck and like for some reason that just pisses him off to no end (laughs) it's almost like they are the same like he sees them as the same the like role of women in this movie is really interesting because it's pretty much just Marla and uh Chloe the 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 lady at the beginning (laughs) Oh, Chloe. Dying and just wanted to have sex one more time. Um, And the narrator describes Chloe as, you know, really unattractive. She's lost all of her sexuality and femininity um, due to her illness and her pain. Mm -hmm. And Marla is never really portrayed as attractive except for like maybe one or two very short shots of her while she's in his cave, like his like consciousness yeah um or subconsciousness um because she's the only person that's in there she's the only one that has become that intimate with him because they're on the same playing field Mm -hmm. but otherwise she's very she's portrayed as very unattractive and the narrator like hates her yeah with her it's only tyler that has sex with her and gets to enjoy the pleasure of sex otherwise it's like, no, you have to say no to pleasure, no to sex, no to women and things that make you feel good. You have to only accept pain in order to fully be like a part trans- of this project. Yeah, like have. fully ascend into this world. Mm-hmm. So uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about before we, before we close out was the um, kind of like homoerotic uh like the suppression of being gay or queer or whatever in this movie like that kind of tone mm-hmm. that you get um I don't think you get that the first time you watch it but I've you know I've seen this a few times and I've talked to a few people about this movie and um that has been brought to my attention and like when I watched it when I rewatched it this time I I could see it a little bit easier um because the author of the book is openly gay and the narrator himself like I said earlier despises any sort of femininity um that comes in comes in his path I guess Uh like he doesn't want to have sex with uh Marla he pretty much thinks she's disgusting and like says so multiple times um makes fun of chloe and her desire to have sex and pretty much only enjoys her suffering more than and, like, anything he makes else. fun of bob too like yeah. bob has bitch tits first of all hate the phrase bitch tits never say that again society but he can he but he can be more vulnerable with 
with Bob. Like he, yeah. he's able to open himself up and he's more comfortable um, being vulnerable when he's with a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets jealous of Jared Leto's character when Tyler, quote unquote, gives him attention. And so he destroys his face pretty much. Like he's the pretty boy and he gets jealous and has to beat him up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like, noticed that the second time around. I was like, why the fuck did he beat the shit out of Jared Leto <laughs> the first yeah. time I watched it? And then the second time, like, that was more prominent, where I was like, oh, mm-hmm. he's like a little jealous. Um, and I think also, like, Jared Leto had, like, spoken up a couple times, like, prior to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just instances like that. And then, you know, the visual and like the narrator describing being a part of the fight club and like fighting with each other and like the closeness and like the only sounds that you can hear are like the the thapping <laughs> of skin yeah. on skin um over the the like shouts and like he gets yeah. off on that um and like the you know being around the peak male physical form and all these things um Tyler doesn't have sex with or Tyler has sex with Marla. The narrator doesn't. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Do you have any thoughts on? I mean, if anything, if it if there is like an intentional homoerotic uh, like theme, like sub theme, um, I see it. Um, maybe maybe that's part of like why he's so frustrated is like he might like the narrator might be gay he might be like deep in the closet doesn't even realize it yeah and like that can be like part of his like aggression and part of like why he doesn't feel like he you know belongs anywhere or like belongs like in the you know mediocre world that he lives in is because he's like he might be subtly living a lie a lie he doesn't even realize he's living kind of deal and maybe Tyler is kind of like a representation of like the hypermasculine manly man. And, you know, at first they get along great. And he's like, oh, this is this guy is awesome. Like, he's everything I like would want to be. And then the more he like, you know, interacts with this like hypermasculine, like cis white man, straight white man, he he kind of balks at some of like the ideologies that he's preaching. Um, even though they're his own ideologies, like, it's just, like, an alternate, mm-hmm. you know, side of him that is, you know, at war with himself kind of thing. So it could be, it could be, um, you know, a narrative on, you know, the struggle of, like, coming to terms with, like, your true self as well. I mean, I think it ties into the critique of, like, what masculinity is. Right. Um, like, you can be gay and be masculine like being attracted to men doesn't mean you're not a man right um i think that's part of it i think maybe it's just you know the struggle of being in the closet and feeling Mm -hmm. like you have to suppress that part of you because like the narrator is the one physically having sex with marla but it's his alter ego tyler the one that is masculine and like the perfect masculine form that mm-hmm. is projected to be doing it. And even when you get that cutscene of when she, when he's talking to Tyler and the, the twist is about to happen, where it's like, we're the same person. Even the cutscene where it shows him like having sex with her, like obviously it's not, he's not there. That's probably why his face is like that. But he also just looks kind of like disinterested. And that's, that could be part of like Tyler's personality being in charge. But it could also be, you know, he's not actually into that. It is Tyler's personality that's like, you know, making this, making this happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't think about that going in, but like when you bring it up, you know, you can, you can make those connections. I don't think it's like a complete, you know, fantasy or a complete conspiracy theory to say, oh, there, there's some homoerotic elements to it. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to pause for a second, kind of rewind. I want to talk about the author's um, initial inspiration to write the book, which I I think is interesting. 
so I guess he went on a camping trip or he was he was like on a trip somewhere and uh, he got into a fight with somebody because he was complaining about their radio being too loud. So he got beat up and when he went back to work, he had all these, you know, bruises and cuts and stuff all over his face and nobody at his work said anything. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody acknowledged it. They just asked him how his trip was. Um, but the fact that he got the shit beat out of him and looked like a bloody mess coming into work and nobody acknowledged it was the inspiration for um, at least part of this book. Right. Well, it's funny you say that because when the movie was over, I asked my brother and my dad, I was like, so my brother had never seen the movie either, but my dad had. So I asked my dad, I was like, so why do you like this movie? And he was like, he was like, I kind of relate to like the fighting part. Obviously my dad's not like into domestic terrorism. Um, <laughs> my dad is very much against bad, evil things like that. But he was like, yeah, we would do a similar thing like as boys. And they would like put little socks on and like beat each other up. <laughs> and I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> I'm like, I would never think of having a good time beating up my friends. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, he, he honestly didn't really have an answer. He was just kind of like, yeah, it was just fun. And that yeah. was it. I asked Ryan the same thing. I asked him why he thought that this movie resonated with men so much. Because for me personally, like, I think it's a really, really good movie. And I right. can appreciate all of the story elements and the artistic um, vision that went into making this movie. But ultimately, I don't really connect with a lot of the motivations or the characters which you know you don't need to relate to everything in a movie in order for it to be good but right. obviously for men for a lot of men it resonates with them um so I asked Ryan you know like why do you think like why do you think guys love it so much or are attracted to it so much and he said kind of the same thing but he also said um just going back to the every man feeling like you're living a monotonous life uh -huh. um, and having that having that outlet to make yourself feel like powerful in some way over a life that you might feel like you're powerless in. Tyler Durden as a character obviously is the bad guy at the end of the day but he is still the epitome of of like the ideal masculine uh -huh. figure. <clears throat> And obviously we said at the beginning of this, like that's what a lot of guys take away from this movie. That's what like pop culture kind of puts out there is Brad Pitt's a badass in this movie. So like, go watch it. And, yeah. And they totally ignore <laughs> all of the other critiques or like what the movie is trying to say about that kind of masculinity. I think that's like one of the things I like about this movie is like you can watch it over and over again and there's always something new that you can get out of it. It's not, it's not a one and done. And I think it's intentionally made that way. Yeah. And there's a lot going on, even though the premise of the movie makes it sound like it's just about guys beating each other up. It's like, no, there's a lot of different, a lot of different things trying to be talked about in this movie. One fun fact about this movie is that there is a Starbucks cup in every shot. Oh, really? It's like supposed to be kind of a fun game that you play while watching it it's like can you see where the starbucks cups are it's kind of like you know you're a part of this corporate world and no matter how hard you try to reject it or um, make your own system it's still part of your life and it's you know always going to be always going to be there yeah constant yeah. reminder of like consumerism even though you're trying to fight against it mm -hmm. yeah um, so are you happy that I made you watch it? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I was just so resistant to movies. I'm like, ah, I can't be that good. Or like, ah, I don't have time for like stupid movies about boys beating each other up. But yeah, I had a lot of misconceptions about the movie going in. And I am glad I watched it. It set the record straight for sure. And it also, <laughs> it also <laughs> is more than just dudes being bros and, you know, tackling each other shirtless a lot more to think about than than all that good stuff there were more rules to fight club than i originally expected um, 
when he kind of like when he got past like rule three i was like oh we're still going <laughs> um but in general like it's a good movie but i i wish people talked about it more i mean it's kind of like it's an older movie now so people talk about it less often um but i wish i wish when it was released in 1999 that people had addressed like the actual points of this movie and not like the hyper basically like ah oh, tyler Durden rocks like let's be more like him and be like super ripped and you know make you know crazy ass decisions and just be and try and hope that our char charisma and like you know confidence pull it off because that's what a lot of dudes are like now and probably were back then is like you know they think that they're I know plenty of guys that think that they're like charisma and like charm and also the, like the social situation that they're in can like cover for the fact that they're saying like really offensive things or like doing yeah. really offensive things and that's not just men like that there are you know women and like other people out there who do the same thing like they rely on some sort sort of like dominant personality trait to like get out of being like a complete dick mm -hmm. um, i'm starting to see through all y'all's bullshit um <laughs> but good movie well made cast was fantastic i loved helena bottom carter's her performance and also her accent was great compared to at <laughs> all. <laughs> like I was watching it and I was like, I was like, don't ruin this for me, hell. And I was like, we're <laughs> we're doing so great. Um, no, I thought she was great. Even Meatloaf's performance, like he just did such a good job being like this. Like he was unrecognizable to me. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was a really good movie is it my favorite movie? And is it a movie that I'm going to make my phone background? Like some guys I know? No, but <laughs> I would watch it again. Like I would mm -hmm. go back, maybe not immediately, <laughs> but you know, if somebody brought it up like, a, like a couple months or like a year from now, like, Hey, you want to watch Fight Club? I wouldn't say no. I'd watch it again. And I would probably look for the Starbucks cups. That's probably what I'd end up doing. Yeah. But no, I liked it. And I, I understood to a degree its message. Like I said, I just wish that the actual message got across and not like the the surface level takeaway of like oh brad pitt's super hot he got like you know mad pussy and started like this awesome bro group like that's not what happened <laughs> yeah so it lives up to the yeah. hype yeah i would say so cool yeah like i like this movie um it's not one that i would put in like my top 10 or anything like that right but it's a, I think it's a staple, like, you just have to watch it before you die kind of movies. Because it's just so ingrained in, like, pop culture and the entertainment sphere, I guess. So, yeah. I'm glad that you've seen it, and now we can <laughs> reference it together, I guess. No, I can just, yeah. And it is very quotable, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our review of Fight Club, unless you have any other thoughts? I do not. I'm thoughtless. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then I will see you next time. Yay. See ya. Bye.